Hey everybody, welcome back to the Overrun Podcast. My name is Ed Bowder. Thanks for listening today. Today on the show we have uh, Tyler Christofoli. He is from Flightbridge and the uh, FOMED Project FOMFRAT from Minneapolis, Minnesota. He is a flight medic who has a lot of interesting takes and today we talked about managing millennials. So sit back, take a listen, and we'll talk to you after the interview. All right. On the line with me today, I have Tyler Christofoli. He is a flight medic from Minneapolis, Minnesota. He's a contributor to the FlightBridge podcast and also one of the founding members of FoamFrat. So Tyler, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the podcast. So I emailed you a little while ago to talk about how to manage millennials. This is something that you've presented at, uh, at conferences and you spoke about um, somewhat at length. So one of the things I want to t- try to talk about today, you and I are both millennials. So there's this, I think there's a lot of illusions on how millennials operate, um, how they work in the uh, in the job market. So, to start, give me some of your, I guess, the the biggest illusions that people might have about the millennial generation and how we work overall. Yeah, I'm just going to kind of preface, you know, everything I say with the fact that I don't manage millennials anymore. Uh, I worked at my previous program as the training officer, and it was new to me because I was teaching a bunch of generations, a bunch of different license levels. And I was trying to figure out how to engage each one of those. So my approach to this is more so from an educational standpoint uh, than as a, I don't want to say an economic standpoint. And I don't do that anymore. Now I work as a full-time flight paramedic, um, but how people engage has always been an interest of mine. And I did gave a talk at a uh, conference. Uh, it was back in September it was called hashtags, Starbucks and selfies. And it was all on <laughs> it was all on millennials and how to uh, maybe be attractive to millennials, how to retain them, uh, because we do have a reputation of being job hoppers, um, feeling like we constantly have to be praised, promoted, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just personally like I, I got bored of talking about it because so many people when you're in education, ask you, hey, can you teach us how to teach millennials uh, as opposed to teaching baby boomers or Generation X? And if you ask me, it's really a false dichotomy. Like, it's not really an issue. Like, everybody likes to learn from an engaging teacher. Everybody likes to learn the same way. There's not hands-on learners and didactic learners. Like, everybody, like, if you're learning a skill that requires you to do something with your hands, like, you're a hands-on learner. And so- These categories that we like to try to box people into are setting us up for failure. And so your question of what are some of the false belief patterns about millennials, it's exactly that. You know, they're job hoppers, they're self-entitled, blah, blah, blah. Now go back, you know, 50 years and ask, you know, your parents, grandparents, what they think of that young generation. And they're probably going to say like the same thing. Thing exactly. like they all got their little, they all got their quirks. You know, you look at yeah, maybe we, uh, you know, check in at the uh, gym or we take pictures of our ice cream sundae and post it up on Twitter. Uh, but our parents collected rocks and stamps, and you know, they had their own weird <laughs> stuff that they did. So I think you're kind of I don't know blinding yourself or pigeonholing yourself to believe that uh, just because somebody was born between this time. In here, we have to treat them completely different. And that's largely been the message I've been trying to portray as I uh, talk. I did an interview with uh, the Professional Association of Wisconsin on this exact topic. And that's always the question, you know. So, can you try to break some of the rumors about millennials or about baby boomers? You know, think about the term baby boomers. 
I mean, it's named because they had a lot of sex between a certain amount of time. There's so many of them. <laughs> there's so many of them. I mean, they were mating like crazy. I kind of like right. the name millennials better. It's it's millennial is a little much a much a softer term, right? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I I think that's interesting. And like you talk about learning styles, and there's there's this persistent narrative that there's you know tactile learners and visual learners and auditory learners, and that that's all kind of been. Um, sort of disproven in the literature um that everything is it's more of a holistic learning style regardless of who you are um and i do think it's interesting just in in teaching cross-generational people where you know i i can teach a 60 year old almost as well as i can teach a 20 year old um you know the, the material is the material i don't find that there's a huge difference in learning style um have you found that generally to be true Oh, 100 percent. And I just taught with Salim Razai and Ginger Locke and Lee Big at the teaching course uh, for EMS. It was the first time we ever did this in Nashville, Tennessee. And we did the whole course. It was fantastic. And at the very end, you know, we said, is there any questions, anything you wish we would have hit on that we didn't? And, you know, there's a couple of people that raised their hand and said, yeah, you never told us how to teach millennials. And it's like, dude, it's the same way. Like everybody likes learning from an engaging speaker. If I get up there and I it's and I do you know bullet points and I read off my slides, I don't care if you were born in 1920, you're going to be falling asleep by the time I'm done with that as opposed to what we've learned about engagement now and how we've kind of transferred some of the marketing strategies that we see in the business realm into education because you are asking them to invest uh, invest their time and it, that's largely been a focus of research of mine is how do you get people engaged? And, you know, I got a couple of little tactics I do. And I talk about that when I talk about engaging all generations. Um, but there's nothing really specific about millennials. Right. And I think that kind of is the crux of everything. You have to be an engaging speaker and know your topic. It's not as if if I serve avocado toast to a millennial or if I serve spam to a baby boomer, they're going to learn better. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I 100% agree with that statement. And uh, yeah, so it, it's a topic that I've always thought was interesting because I feel like it's, um, like I said, it's a, it's a persistent narrative um, in education and then also in EMS. Um, and we had talked previously about job hopping. So do you feel that there's a significant difference in millennials versus previous generations about how to enter employment or how to stay at one particular project? Um, and if so, like what what's the data you've seen that backs that up? Yeah. So the way I would define millennials job hopping is smart <laughs> because if you look at the <laughs> data on this, get, um, if you stay at money. if you, well, no, seriously, if you stay at one job, you're going to get a 1%, 2% increase, you know, every couple of years or so with inflation. Uh, but if you work somewhere for, let's say three years and then go to another job, you know, you got sign on bonuses, you are guaranteed almost a 15% increase in your wage, according to uh, this recruiting magazine, Forbes magazine. Uh, these numbers are pretty, um, pretty um, numbers are pretty consistent with what you're going to see. And so I think that's really interesting because they know better. You know, if they start working at one place, they get some experience. Let's say you get out of uh, school, you're an EMT. And you go work at your first job and they go, oh, this guy's got no experience. You know, we're going to hire him at our lowest starting wage. And then you get three years of experience and you go hop over to ambulance XYZ. They're going to say, oh, he's got three years of experience of working in the city. Yeah, we're going to start him off a little higher. So then they get three years at a critical care service and they go somewhere else. And that just keeps happening. And we are in a, uh, you know, I'll call it a buyer's market. Like there are so 
many jobs available for EMTs, uh, paramedics, nurses. There's constantly a need for this. And we know it. We're not idiots, right? We see the Facebook pages for these programs saying, you know, $5,000 sign-on bonus if you come work here. And then we're right. looking at our current job and we're like, wow, I've been working here for like two, three years. And like, I haven't really seen anything different from when I first started. And you're smart. You know what's going on and you're not going to get stuck in a hole, essentially. If you think about, you know, our generation and, you know, I'll even say like the generation before, like we trade in our phones every couple of years to get an upgrade, right? We play, we played video games when we were young where we were constantly trying to level up. Uh, every right. semester in college, we're learning something different. And so you go from this stage of constantly wanting to accelerate, getting bored within a year or so, constantly trying to find a way of improving yourself. And, and then you just work one job consistently where you're doing the same thing every single day. And I talked about this in my uh, lecture I gave at, um, it was a conference in Wisconsin about asking those people, you know, not just millennials, anybody, what's your goal? Like, where do you want to work at? What's your plan? Because, you know, we all kind of start off sometimes at maybe a, a hospital as a tech, or we start off at a private ambulance service. And there's this like buriedness of our head in the sand where we think that they're just going to stay with us forever. And we get real upset when we see that they're leaving to go to a fire department or they got hired on a helicopter and it's reality. I mean, you are essentially a bridge to somewhere else. And so if you right. sit down and you ask, what's your goal? Oh, I really want to be a, a flight paramedic. Well, cool. How can we help you get there? And that's when you're going to start seeing people transferring from other services over to yours because they hear, oh, if I go work for Ed's ambulance service, um, I know that you know this fire department hires from their pool of employees. They really train their employees right. Or uh, this flight service always picks Ed's ambulance employees when they hire. So I'm going to go work there. And they're smart. They know where the hiring pools are. They know who's offering the best benefits, who's offering the best incentives for their employees. And honestly, like you'd be an idiot not to go to that service. Well, right, exactly. And I, I think that there's a lot to be said for loyalty to a project, but it doesn't pay the rent at the end of the day. So I, oh, I think that it's absolutely. That, yeah. So it's it's an interesting concept to to stay in one place for 25 years. But I think that's if we're talking about generational differences, I think that's something that our generation has kind of moved on from. Um, the benefits of staying at one place for 25 or 30 years are much different now than they were, say, in the 1960s. And this is really frustrating to employers, right? Because they're listening to this and they're going, well, OK, I can't promote everybody. You know, the. Uh, I think it was as of 2018, the average like manager has like 19 people below them and, and then that's doubling. And so you're seeing, a, you know, they're trying to promote people, but there's just not that many positions available. You cannot promote everyone. So what do you do with the other, you know, 18 people that didn't get promoted? And so this was a topic that I was researching at Lifestar because I had a group of field educators. I stripped the name field officer. These were educators that were stationed at all of our bases. And their job was strictly education from that standpoint. And so you, they were happy, you know, cool. They got this role now. But then you had other people going, well, what am I going to do? You know, there's a training officer position is taken. Um, obviously, like the base supervisor position is taken. So what's the next spot for me? 
And this is where I started to evaluate how can I create like clubs? Like think about in like high school and you had like chess club and you had the debate club and, you know, the math club and everybody wanted that <laughs> sense of belonging or whatever. And right. so I created like simulation teams. And so, all right, everybody's going to apply to be on the simulation team. Or I'd create a, um, a team for people that uh, want to do outreach. And I would constantly be trying to create these like internal teams that honestly, like there was no financial incentive to be a part of it, but they felt like they were doing something. They felt like they were growing within the company. Uh, we created... Uh, this team that would constantly be trying to evaluate best practices. And so what they would do is they'd get together, they would meet and they would say, all right, why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? And they would come up with ideas, a consistency group. And when you do that, you, I don't want to say you give the false sense of belonging because it's not a false sense. They do belong to a group. And then as they, you know, move through that group, maybe a spot opens, but it was so important to do that. So you don't feel like, oh, I'm just a run-of-the-mill employee. I clock in and clock out, and all these other people belong to these clubs. And you see that within, like, fire departments um, and even, you know, larger corporations now. But, you know, look at a fire department. They show pride in their station. Uh, we're part right. of, you know, the tin house or we're part of the eight-house <laughs> engine or whatever. And then they all wear those shirts because you want that sense of belonging. Once again, not a millennial thing, an everyone thing. And so that was something that I found was really interesting is once I started creating these little internal teams, people started gravitating to those and they were like happy and it wasn't costing us anything except maybe a little bit of time and creativity. And, and that's interesting where, because I think the biggest concern with a lot of employers is going to be retention. Um, you know, we talked about job hopping like that. So I, I, I pulled a couple articles from Forbes just in preparation of talking to you, which is, it, it, it's interesting to me because I feel like Forbes talks about how to manage millennials to people that don't know how to manage millennials uh, and they don't talk to millennials at all. Um, a couple of the points that they make is that for a lot of people in our uh, age demographic is that money isn't everything um, and that 84% of millennials care about making a difference more than the money they make. I don't think there's any data to back that, but I do think that if you're engaging in a group of people who are born between some arbitrary time frame and having them actually be a part of their project and allowing them to make some kind of change is very important. Um, I also tend to think that this is how a lot of shows like, like, like my show and like your show came around, where if you're trying to make a difference, this might be one way to do it that you know is cost neutral. Yeah, you know, there's a couple reasons somebody invests time in something, you know, either it's going to pay them really well, it's going to make a big impact, or it's going to benefit them as like a professional. And uh, I agree with the podcast statement, you know, I do foam frat, Sam and Cynthia and Tom and, you know, a bunch of us all do these podcasts and these blogs for foam frat just on our own time, because uh, one, it is like, it is benefiting us as a professional. And then two, it's making an impact. We're actually starting to see that impact on providers. And so right. it's not always financial. I wouldn't say we don't care about money. <laughs> like I, you know, I, I, I kind of like money and I kind of like, you know, feeling like I'm being rewarded. <laughs> I've, I've grown for, accustomed to eating. <laughs> yeah, I've grown accustomed to eating and, you know, putting diapers on my kids and stuff. But, you know, barring that, yeah, if it's going to make an impact, then cool, I'm going to do it. If it's going to benefit me as a professional, I'm going to do it. And I think we've all seen services or programs where 
they're kind of known as the, oh, they'll, they'll hire anybody who can fog a mirror. Like you just show up and you get hired. Right. And then there's the you services have, that have, have like a car and you have a job. Right. You got a job. And then there's the places that have like a waiting list. And then they're known as like the elite or whatever. And we all, oh, we want to work there. And sometimes these services aren't like, you know, they're not that different except for the way that they're framed. And if you can frame your service in a way that looks like or appears on the outside, like we don't just hire anyone, but we're looking for quality employees, then people are going to kind of gravitate towards that. And, you know, don't get me wrong. Every single service is going to have their skeletons in the closet and you're going to start working there and you're going to sure. realize, oh, man, like the ventilator didn't work today or, oh, man, like the, the monitors sometimes need to be upgraded or whatever. That's not that important. Like that's other stuff that we can kind of put aside for now. Uh, but by and large, how does that program like appear from the curb? You know, when you're looking at it from the outside, do the employees look happy when they're coming into the hospital? When you're cleaning off your cot in the ambulance bay and you look over at the other ambulance next to you, the guy's smiling and laughing with each other. Or is one person doing everything and the other uh, person's in the EMS room chowing down, you know, watching like what's that culture look like? How do you measure culture? And one of the things that I encourage people to do when they are looking at getting into a program, and I know I'm shifting this like from millennials, but like I said in the beginning, That's I fine. think the millennial things like a crock, a, you know, I don't know if you can say shit on your podcast, but I think it's a, a crock. We, we have explicit things. Say, say whatever you want. <laughs> it's a crock of shit. <laughs> um, I think that you can walk into a training from a program. So if I'm looking at joining or applying at this ambulance service, I'll reach out and say, Hey, I uh, have some interest in working for you. I was wondering if I could attend one of your company training sessions and just, just audit, just monitor it in the background. And by doing that, what you're going to see is how the culture is. And once that training ends, how long do people hang out? How long do they talk and associate with each other? Or when they say, all right, thanks for coming. And everybody's out to their cars and leaves. Right. And you can start to measure culture in that way. And you can start to see if that's maybe somewhere that you would want to work. That stuff that's important to me. Honestly, somebody asked me the other day, how much money do you make? Uh, what do you make an hour as a flight paramedic? And I cannot honestly even tell you that. And it's probably like just super irresponsible of me or just being in the dark. <laughs> But I have no clue what I make. Like, I know what my paychecks look like, but I couldn't tell you, you know, how many dollars and cents that I make an hour because I'm happy. Right. Like, I look forward to going to work. I drive to work, listening to a podcast, thinking, oh, what am I going to get in today? And then I drive home thinking, you know, oh, cool. You know, I had this call and this call and I call Sam up and, you know, hey, what would you do in this situation? Like, it's challenging my brain. I don't feel like I'm stuck on, you know, Groundhog Day doing the same thing every single day. And that stuff's important to me as well. Well, I, I, that's interesting. I think that speaks to retention as well. Um, there's a lot to be said for creating a positive culture where you, I, I guess it, it, you feel less like you're going to work and more like you're going to, you know, a, a certain lifestyle aspect that you have. Um, you know, that, that old adage of like, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Um, I think that's become more prevalent when they talk about like generational gaps. Um, but I do think it's important when we're talking because I, I, I realize we're taking this away from millennials so much and making it more about a, a generalized culture thing. But I do think there's a lot to talk about making a, um, a positive work culture um, and being mentors more than bosses in general when you're trying to retain your people. Yeah, you, you're 100% correct with that. And if you look at 
which type of employees you want to work for your service. They're usually the employees that are taking people under their wing, kind of helping them out. They are constantly looking for ways to benefit themselves and the company as a whole, you know, not separately. And those are the types of employees that you want. You want the employee that wants to keep progressing. Um, even though that's framed in somewhat of a negative light as a millennial, you know, they say, oh, they're constantly wanting to get promoted. All right, well, are you really happy with the guy that wants to come to work for the next 30 years and do exactly the same thing and never grow? And I uh, created this chart in this lecture that I gave on millennials, and it was uh, the time frame on the x-axis and then the motivation on the y-axis and you know you get out of school you're really excited you know you got your technical college stethoscope that you bought and you got all your stuff on your pants and your pockets and your pen light and you're just ready to go at it and then what you see is like you progressively decline in motivation as time goes by until eventually you hit a plateau and that's where the groundhog day comes in, where you just wake right. up and do the same thing every single time. And the problem with that is, is somebody will say, I've been a EMT or a paramedic for 30 years. That's really cool. What have you done during that time frame? You know, because experience is completely relative. And they'll say, well, you know, I've worked at this service for 30 years. Well, then you've really been repeating your first five years, like for the next 30 years. And doing the same thing, as opposed to somebody who says, I'm getting bored. Like, I'm already in EMT. All right, I want to go to advanced EMT. I want to go to paramedic. All right, I'm a paramedic. I want to go to critical care. You know what? I want to take my FPC exam. You know what? I want to take a trauma course. You know what? I want to be a doctor or PA. And they keep, like, just moving up. That's not bad. Like, that's a really good thing. That's a motivated individual. Uh, we right. need to quit framing that as a negative thing. So do you think that... And you, we, we, you had mentioned that it was a buyer's market. Do you think that for people that don't move up, there's a, I don't want to say a, a motivation lapse, or is it lack of knowledge of accessibility for career prospects? Or, or why do you think people that don't move up don't move up? You know, this has been a really hot topic amongst uh, some of my close friends. We've been looking at what, you know, what makes somebody just perfectly fine with doing the same thing every single day and, and never wanting to like progress or never wanting to move forward. And they might just be really good at their job. And they're like, you know what, this is cool. This is where I'm at. And I typically see like uh, one or two things happening. One, somebody's near the end of retirement and they're thinking to themselves, I'm not going to learn something brand new. I've been doing it this way for this amount of time. Uh, two more years of doing this isn't going to hurt me. So that may be one, the person that's kind of seasoned, that doesn't really want to grow. They don't want to reach their full potential. And then the other reason, I believe if you analyze and maybe extrapolate some of the data from the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, are you familiar with that? Uh, yes, I wish I wasn't, but I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I do. I love it. So when I was, you know, the training officer for Lifestar, uh, somebody would uh, hit a plateau, and I would be like, "Man, you know, I noticed like." Well, so, I, so just just to dovetail off real quick, like the whole reason that I have that that angst against it is Maslow was one of those educational things for me that it was a very forced uh, educational thing. Whereas, you know, like it, through nursing school and and now in medical school, where it's like, you know, you have to learn this right now. Yeah. So. 
like thinking about like how people learn and like that that's that's why my first reaction is just like that Ugh, okay maslow um, <laughs> it's like the krebs cycle but, yeah. you know like oh my god yeah not exactly. many people um, geek out about the krebs cycle and maslow's like i do they really do it's <laughs> fascinating but yeah but that, that's why i have that that initial reaction to it um it's the same thing like the, like going through the kubler raw scale it's like yes i know it i wish i didn't but it's <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry but go, go ahead yeah so you know somebody would plateau and i'd see like all right you know like john or whatever just make up a name uh is not like reaching out he's not doing anything he's really just coming to work and like just going through the motions and so if i started to evaluate all the different columns or pillars or whatever of the maslow's hierarchy of needs uh, what i would find is that when i call him in the office i'd be like hey man you know how's it going well you know i'm not too well. You know, my wife and I are going through a divorce right now and it's just been kind of, you know, bothering me. It's weighing down. Bingo. Now I know what's going on. This is why uh, John's not his self lately. Or uh, maybe I notice that someone is showing up to trainings and they just look negative all the time. And I'm like, yeah, that's not normal. Usually they're engaging. I go down that and I start talking to them. Yeah. You know, money's been really tight right now. And what I found is to reach that top triangle of Maslow's hierarchy, that pyramid, and that self-actualization and that the best version of yourself, you need all of this stuff underneath it. And if they're not getting those things from either at you as a uh, provider or as a program or as a friend um, or as a mate, they're not going to reach that and they're not going to want to progress at all. I mean, you and I sitting here recording this podcast right now, this wouldn't happen if we weren't able to pay the bills or if we were going through marital problems or if we had just lost a loved one or if we weren't happy. The only reason we're taking the time out of our day right now to record this podcast is because everything's probably going decent in our lives right now. We're feeling pretty good that right. we can take that extra time to do this. Sorry, I just hit the microphone with my coffee and I want you to keep that in. <laughs> um, but no, it's it, I mean, that's what I find is that if somebody's not growing, it's probably not just because they're lazy. It's probably like there's something deeper beneath, you know, that iceberg illustration where you see just the tip of it and then you got that huge, right. you know, glacier underneath it. There's something more. And as a friend or as a colleague, you know, you just got to ask them some questions and try to dig in and find out what that is. And then all of a sudden you'll see, not that you can fix that, but then you at least know why it's there. You know, you can figure right. out and what's I, I, I do think it's it. important to mention, it's just something else I want to jump in with. Like, there's nothing wrong with getting into a position and staying there for however long. I don't, I don't want it to seem like, you know, we're criticizing like, you know, how can you be an EMT for 20 years or a medic for 20 years? Um, I, it's just, it's interesting to me, the the lack of desire to move up. That's why I wanted to kind of build up on that. I... I honestly, like you say, there's nothing wrong with being an EMT for 20 years. I, I agree with that to a certain extent because I feel like after a certain amount of time, I, like normally like you would get bored with that. And maybe that's just me or maybe, you know, some of the people I've talked to, but they're like, man, how do you do that for 20? Like, how do you make a career out of it? Now, if you're working at a volunteer fire department or something, yeah, that's not your life. You know, that's not what you're doing. That's right. not your career. Yeah. Uh, you're helping out your community. That's that's whatever. That's like being a, a soccer coach or whatever. You're helping out the people in your community. I just compared being an EMT to a soccer coach. But when you look at <laughs> when you look at somebody that's doing this as a career, as a profession, and they're like, yeah, I'm completely happy, you know, like at the lowest level. I don't know that that 
somewhat intrigues me as to why that is, why they don't want to progress. And I, I don't see it that much anymore. I really don't. I see it with uh, maybe some of previous generations, um, but I don't really see people saying I'm perfectly happy uh, doing this full time as a career and staying at the minimal license level. I, I just don't see that as a thing that happens that much anymore. Do you? Yeah, it, it's, it is something that I, I found pretty interesting. Um, and I, I think there, a lot of it is just there's a comfort level of staying at a certain level. Um, you know, it, it's, it can be scary if you've been doing the same thing for 15 or 20 years, and then you want to try and move on to something new. Um, you know, I, for me personally, like I certainly know like trying to go into school again was a, a daunting task initially. So I can see to a certain extent that it's, it's worrisome to move on to a new thing. Um, but I agree with you that it, I, it confuses me that people don't want to move on. Um, so one of the things that I, I think gets talked about a lot as well that I want to touch on real quick just before we wrap this up is looking at the importance between balancing um, a, an outside of work life and a professional life. Um, that's kind of brought up a lot when it talks about how to manage, you know, the younger folk. Um, so I, I'm wondering, how do you feel that people should do that? Do we do that well as an e in EMS uh, as a profession? And what can we do to, to, I guess, perhaps better manage our time, both personally and professionally? Yeah, I think as individuals, we are god awful at this because we constantly want to be connected. You know, I want to know what's going on all the time. And Lifelink 3, where I work now, they are fantastic. Like when you're off, you're off. There's no phone calls, there's no real emails, like nothing. Like they want you to rest. And we're actually required before we come to work to have a 10 hours of un uninterrupted rest so we can't go work for another ambulance service or whatever we have to come in 10 hours you know fresh and so right. me as an individual i have a hard time with that like i wake up at 5 30 in the morning and i'm thinking all right what can i do to make today as effective as possible all right i'm gonna get this podcast done i'm gonna get out this blog i'm gonna review these articles i gotta call you know this person and set up this meeting and I like just fill up my schedule with all these things that I feel I need for professional growth. And my wife is like, you know, that's really cool. And yeah, you know, everybody likes your podcast and, you know, you're flattered by all the requests you have to speak at conferences, um, but you need to put your family first. And I'm getting like the leftover Tyler and everybody else is getting the high energetic full of Starbucks coffee, Tyler. And I, I'm, it, <laughs> it's so true, you know? And so what I've tried to do lately is I read a book called Deep Work. And um, the author's name is completely skipping me right now, but it's called Deep Work. And it was talking about how to get into projects that are actually meaningful. Like I could go on and I could debate on Facebook with somebody over socks versus rock or VL versus DL. And I could do that for hours. Um, but at the end of the day, like all of that's gone. Or I could sit down and maybe start writing this book. So Eric Bauer and I from Flight Bridget are uh, doing a new version of the ventilator workshop or the ventilator book. And, you know, it's hard for me to sit down and like dedicate time to that because I'm focused on all these other like light tasks, like things that are really shallow. And so I got to literally lock myself in a room and try to focus solely on one project. And I was in Nashville and I was talking to Salim Razai. And I was like, man, how do you do all the stuff that you do? Like you are, con you know, you're working, you're putting out podcasts, blogs, you're speaking all the time. And he's like, you know, let me see your phone for a second. And so I showed it to him and he's like, you got to turn off the notifications on your phone, dude. I was like, what? 
He's like, yeah, turn off the notifications. Yeah, but, but how will I know that things are happening on Facebook and Instagram? Yeah, how how I will I how will I know people love me? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> how am I going to know people just like my new blog I put up? And he's like, dude, just ignore it. Like, focus on deep work. And when you want to check your email, go check your email, but don't do it because your watch just vibrated and you want to see who emailed you. And so I did that and I've turned off all of the notifications. Dude, something so simple as that has largely impacted how I am able to uh, be effective and how I prioritize things. And it was just something as simple as like turning off notifications or deleting Facebook from your phone, keep it on your computer, check it once a day and respond to people. And, you know, you and I going back and forth conversing about this podcast, like I was God awful at getting back to you within a couple of days. And I felt <laughs> extremely horrible about this. Um, but I would be like, all right, I check my email, my Gmail once every two days. And I check my Facebook maybe in the morning. You know, I look at my uh, podcast analytics once a week. And I try to schedule those things in so that I'm not just bored sitting at a table, you know, while my wife goes to the bathroom looking at likes or looking at tweets or whatever. Right. Because being being maybe a little bit more comfortable with not doing anything and just resting your mind. And that's been really beneficial for me. And I think probably would help a lot of people just to try to not say disconnect, don't disconnect, but just arrange the times that you do connect intermittently disconnect like intermittently fasting you know right and that's so uh deep work is actually it's by cal newport cal newport um, yes I'm gonna, yeah i'm gonna throw that into the show notes but it, it's interesting to hear that because i know something that i'm really terrible at is managing distractions um turning off like hearing you know you should turn off notifications actually kind of gave me a little cringe um because you know there's it's it's almost like an addiction at some point where you're just like i just need to know that something is happening in the world um <laughs> and like 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 one of the worst things that hap that's happened to me in the past month i'm being anecdotal but um i have an iphone and they added an app to monitor your screen time and oh yeah the, uh, i've seen that <laughs> yeah so my totals came up and i was like that's not that's not true <laughs> there's there's no way um, and I'm actually much more aware of it now, uh, which, you know, it, it, it's horrifying. There's probably other things I could be doing all the time. So it's interesting to hear that where you can just kind of shut off and go off and do your own things. Because um, I don't think it's something that we do very well, especially amongst EMS professionals. We are kind of tied into, we have our own identity of, you know, I'm an EMT or I'm a medic. All of my social circle are EMTs or medics. And then all of the things I do outside of work revolves around EMT and medics. Um, which at a base level, I don't know if there's anything wrong with, but I think that can burn you out pretty quickly. Yeah. You know, you put out a podcast or a blog and then you see someone commented on it and you're like, oh man, I wonder if they said something positive or negative, you know, and then you look and they said something positive and you're like, oh yeah, you know, you get that kind of that, that rush, that euphoric feeling. And then all of a sudden somebody liked it and then somebody shared it. And then you see somebody you really respect shared it or commented on it. And yeah, man, it's addicting. Like you just want to keep yeah. going back and looking at it. And then you're like, oh man, like I got to come up with something else now. And I remember going through um, when, we, when Sam and I first created FoamFrat, we created the uh, app or we didn't create the app. We downloaded the app on our phone. So that way, whenever somebody would visit our site, we would get notified. And so we would be, oh, my oh, God, wow. somebody from Russia is looking at our site. Oh, man, somebody from China is looking at it. Oh, you know, somebody from New York's looking at it. Dude, it's probably Scott Weingart, you know, and we're like going back and <laughs> forth. 
you know, we were all super excited. That lasted like two weeks and we're like, oh my God, you know, turn it off because it would constantly be vibrating. So I think that you find things that you are extremely excited about at first and then eventually it starts. Uh, I don't say you're not excited about it anymore, but you just, for the sake of you as a content producer, you have to disconnect from that. So that way you can focus on the next big thing that you're going to put out. And you know what, how people respond to that is it's up to them. And I used to go back right. and edit all my podcasts. So that way I would take out any fumbles or any ums or like, like in this podcast, I said, um, like something about burying their head in the sand, burying-ness of their head in the sand. Like, that's not a term. What the hell am I talking about here? And I would tell you, you know, hey, can you take that out? But no, man, when we're speaking, like we all say stupid stuff. And I just want to be like transparent. I want to actually put out stuff that people can see the real you and focus on that. And so I don't edit as much as I used to at all. I keep in a lot of the blurbs and a lot of the stupid stuff I say because I don't want people to get this opinion of me that, oh man, Tyler's a phenomenal speaker and he never messes up. Right. Because if I had, dude, if I could show you some of the outtakes of foam frat where I say, <laughs> and I'm sure you've done it too, where you're talking and you're on a roll. And then all of a sudden you just say a word that's not even a thing. Like you just make up a oh, word sure. all the time. And you're like, what well, the that's heck we, did I just we try say? Release, um, most, most of our, our tracks are fairly rough cut. Um, we don't do a lot of edits because it, we try and have it be like a conversation. Um, there are a couple, you know, you have to make edits here and there, but we try and make it as a, I guess, as straightforward as we can. Um, but also, like, you know, if you listen to a couple of our episodes, it's mostly just us sitting around with a couple of beers, just yelling about things, <laughs> just, <laughs> just sitting around screaming into the void. Um, but no, this is this has been great. Uh, Tyler, thanks so much for talking to me. Um, this is a topic I know it's a uh, it's kind of an old, an old topic for you and you're kind of done with it but i know it's something that just doesn't go <laughs> no away. i didn't mean it like that i uh, just you know i obviously no, 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 agreed I, to I, do I, it i understand I'll take no it. dude thanks so much for having me on you know what i know i kind of uh went away from the topic that you were wanting to hit but i think that a lot of the stuff that we talked about falls underneath that umbrella of false belief of millennials uh, millennials and x generation x baby boomers like Everybody right. is kind of, if you go back to the roots, you look at lifestyles, how they were raised. I think that's more uh, productive to look at as opposed to just when somebody was born. You know, everybody's got something yeah. that they're working on. They're trying to be a better version of themselves. And when it comes down to, you know, the crux of it, you just got to look at each person as an individual and not stereotype them. Absolutely. And that's, that's probably the hardest thing I think for people to do. But Tyler Christofoli from From Frat, thanks so much, man. Um, and we'll talk to you again. Sounds good, buddy. Take care. And thanks again to Tyler Christofoli for talking to me. Um, we talked about a lot of really good stuff. Uh, I was really happy with talking to him. Um, let us know what you guys think about managing millennials. Do you find that there's a difference in generations between whether it's baby boomers, Gen X, or millennials overall? You can check us out at Overrun Productions on Facebook and Instagram, Overrun EMS on Twitter, overrunproductions.gmail.com. Make sure to download, rate, and subscribe through Apple iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and Alexa. Um, and make sure to check out our website for our merchandise. You can put your child in an Overrun onesie. How fun is that? For the Overrun, my name is Ed Bowder. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.